0: A Southern California native, Vince Hernandez got his big break when his brother, who was working at Top Cow, referred him for an open position at the company. Vince made the best of the opportunity as he worked his way up the ranks, and when artist Michael Turner branched off to form his own company, Aspen Comics, Vince went with him, and has since earned the responsibilities of editor-in-chief. In addition to his editorial duties at Aspen, which include Fathom, Minefield, and Lady Mechanica, Vince is also a prolific writer, having created Kara's Magic and writing for numerous other Aspen titles such as Soulfire and the Executive Assistant series. We talked to Vince about the challenges he faces as an editor, developing creator-owned comics, and how as a writer he deals with being edited by someone else. All that and more on the Scripts and Scribes podcast right now. Welcome to the Scripts and Scribes podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga, and today I'm joined by Aspen Comics writer and editor-in-chief, Vince Hernandez. Uh, Welcome to the show, Vince.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Kevin. Uh, It's good to be on here. I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, I haven't done a podcast in a while, so this will be fun.
0: Yeah, excellent. Um, Now, first off, you're both an editor and a writer, um, having worked on, in one way or another, nearly every book that Aspen publishes. Um, Correct. Now, how did you get your start in the industry?
1: Oh, it was a long time ago. It was about 1990. Uh, I think it was the summer of 97 uh, going into 1998. I was looking for a job. I was actually working uh, back in groceries at a supermarket here in Los Angeles. Uh, and, you know, I just always wanted to do something more creative. And, uh, you know, I was, I was going on, gosh, I was 17 at the time. So I was looking for just something fun, something that I could do to, you know, just something more creative than what I was doing. So, uh, my brother at the time was working for Top Cow Productions, which was kind of a... At that time, they were more of an upstart uh, image company. Well, a lot of comic fans already kind of know about them and know that Mark Silvestri, one of the the original image founders, uh, started that company. So at the time, my brother was working there. Gosh, I don't even remember the uh, position he had. I think it was more on the business side. He uh, mentioned to me that he had an, uh, an opening in the marketing department, and uh, the current director of marketing, Kate Sherwood at the time, uh, basically looking for an assistant, so I, you know, applied like every other Joe Blow, but I did have a, kind of a cooler in, because my brother had already worked there, so he was kind of, you know, talking me up, and, you know, things worked out well in the interview, and I ended up getting the job, and from there, the rest was history. I worked four years at Top Cow, and I really, uh, I would say, you know, that was kind of the foundation where I learned the comic book industry, and the, you know, the behind-the-scenes workings, and, uh, you know, the time I had at Top Cow was, you know, bittersweet, because there was a lot of uh, friendships that I formed, and people that i i still to this day you know talk with and creators that i know but you know i i was pretty much the lowest man on the on the rung over there so there was also you know it was a lot of hard work and there was just a lot of uh you know frustrations and things that i had wanted to do with that company that never kind of came to fruition and uh, i actually had the kind of the writing uh bug back then i i i kind of knew that and I actually won some awards in high school with my writing, and just things that I, you know, I had already kind of applied myself to. So, uh, I always wanted to kind of test the waters there, but I was just never given the opportunity. So, and no hard feelings with that, you know, it just didn't work out, and mm-hmm. kind of actually motivated me more that I never actually got the shot over there. So, the second go around when I when I was uh, jumped over with Aspen, I, uh, you know, I, I went 100% full bore with my writing career, and I haven't looked back since.
0: Right. Cool. Now, how do you make the jump from marketing to editorial slash writer
1: That's a good question. That actually happened very organically i was uh I started out kind of with Aspen just doing you know general editorial stuff. you know I had a decent background already at that point with how comics were made, so it wasn't like a huge leap for me to kind of have to figure out everything uh you know. Editing comics is no joke. there are mm-hmm. a million different facets that you know people never think about mm-hmm. uh so you know it was a crash course you know i won 't lie the first year doing the job. I was very uh i get stressed out and <laughs> there was a lot of frustrations involved with uh just artists making deadlines and you know projects and stories coming together that you know, not necessarily how I imagined them at the start um you know so there was a there was a difficult learning curve and I feel like you know maybe the first two two years were definitely the hardest for me because I had made the jump basically from kind of helping out editorial to just basically becoming the editor-in-chief and uh it was all very organic because you know we're a small company so for us there wasn't a huge editorial team when I jumped on I was already kind of taking over a lot of the projects and then it just became basically uh me running the editorial department and uh you know, from that point on, I've just been, you know, it, it's funny because people mention, you know, how did you get started? But for me, it seems like yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the years have just stacked up and the projects have just, you know, come and gone. And uh, I haven't really looked back, you know, now thinking about it, it's going going on eight, eight years now almost <laughs> that I've been editor-in-chief. So, it, you know, it's been a long time. And I laugh because I see sometimes other, uh, you know, editors or people getting – Praise because they're you're, you're, they're young editors. I just kind of chuckle because I'm like, well, I've been doing that for far longer than them, and right. really, yeah, there's not a lot of people. I, I don't think that a lot of editors and comics that are doing the, the amount of books that I do. All my sure. myself. kind of. Uh, you know, a lot of times there's a team involved. There's an editor mm-hmm. an editorial assistant, and uh, a lot of other you know people in the editorial department for us. It's you know, it's me and and Josh and Frank and and you know beyond that, it's just it's us on this project. So. Uh, I'm real proud of that. Right.
0: right, Yeah, I mean, whenever I talk to you, it sounds like you're crazy busy. You have a million things going on. Um, yeah, I
1: mean, right now, I mean, I'm looking at like a, 11 different books, and you know, I'm writing about four of them. So wow. uh, there's definitely never a shortage of work to be had in the studio.
0: Now, it, it, talking about your position as editor-in-chief, can you just tell me what is an average day like? What are your day-to-day responsibilities at Aspen? What does the editor-in-chief do?
1: Uh, really it depends on the schedule. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, you know, at any given time on our production schedule, we have different books that are, that need our attention more so than others. And generally, the rule of thumb is the books that are coming out sooner are probably the ones that are going to get the more attention. But generally, you know, with me, uh, my day starts, uh, you know, like a lot of other people, just checking my emails and making sure that I'm on top of the previous day's kind of, uh,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, events and things that needed to get done. But generally, my day starts, you know, I'll, I'll jump into the emails make sure I'm all caught up on anything that's come in overnight. Uh, and from there, you know, I, I generally, what I do is I prioritize projects and, and books that need to go out. And that's all dictated by schedule. So, uh, for instance, if a book, say, idolized uh, one of our new summer properties, if that book is uh, next on our slate for needing to go out, then that's going to get our attention most of the morning, and I'll make sure that every kind of facet is taken care of. And that, and that you know, can cover everything from the creator or the writer's notes to, Coloring notes, to, you know, we're still doing line art sometimes all the way up to the end of the book. Uh, there's lettering that that's involved, and with idolize, it's a brand new book, so everything's pretty much brand new. Right. Um. So there's those type of projects, and there are other things too that that you know take up my day. A lot of the the marketing department is pretty much run by me as well. So <laughs> right. Everything uh, that CJ, our marketing assistant, does will need to be you know approved by me, and I'll make sure that that stuff's running smooth. Uh, you know, from there, there's also the digital aspect, which has kind of been taking over more and more time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and that generally, um, you know, I'm kind of going in chronological order of what what usually a day will look like, you know, after marketing stuff. you know, We're talking about after lunch stuff now, and then I'll jump into the digital stuff and make sure everything's going good. Because right now, our digital line is basically like a second imprint. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We put out everything as a hard copy and then everything uh you know, goes digital but we treat them kinda of separate imprints. They're basically uh it's basically like doing two lines books, uh as right now.
2: Right.
1: And then from there, you know, my the the, the end of my day is actually spent doing a lot of the writing. So that's probably where I stray from most editor in chiefs at that point, you know, in the evening I pretty much devote most of my day to to writing scripts and making sure that anything I have gets due is taken care of. And usually that takes me far into the night and then, uh, you know, just repeat and rinse. Right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> now, now who edits the editor in chief?
1: That That's a good question. And that actually uh, goes to Frank, who is our co-owner and he's also the president and he also does a million other tasks here as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I like to emphasize we're, we're a small outfit. So, you know, everybody from, you know, somebody who's interning all the way up to Frank, I mean, we're, we're pretty stacked with things to do and, and there's no, uh, you know there's no pride or prejudice involved in that stuff. Frank is you know right there with his hands dirty doing the day to day tasks of everything right right uh so any book that I write falls to him to edit, mm-hmm. and uh he's pretty much that's been the system we've had since I started writing and uh it's always worked out well. Frank actually co edits most books with me anyways. you know what will huh. happen is uh once the original lettering proofs, which are you know the the basic pages with the balloons finally placed on them. Once those are finished, I'll go over them and kind of once over, give them a, a quick edit. And then from there, we uh, basically go to Frank, and then he gives it a read, and then he'll give his notes as well. And then what I'll do is, uh, based off of his notes, I'll go back in, meet with the letter one last time, and we'll... Basically, this will be like the third draft of uh, of every comic we put out. And then that third draft is where we'll put in these final changes. And then from there, we get one last proof that actually... Me and frank will both look over as well because it's always good to have you know two sets of eyes on this stuff uh so you're looking at like four four general proofs for every comic right Right.
0: cool now talking about the digital aspect um ebooks and e-comics are sort of becoming uh more and more prevalent especially with ipads and everything now do you think what's your opinion on on e-comics are they good for the industry are they bad for the industry
1: I think they're 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 good. I mean, a lot, I know a lot of retailers, you know, right now are resistant to the to the fact that you know they're they're kind of cutting into their sales, which is uh, you know that's a reality. But I also think that the digital market can be used in a, in a positive way. I just think that a lot of the uh, solutions to that haven't been figured out yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, based on the whole, it's it's like the frontier right now with the digital stuff. A lot of publishers don't exactly know the right way to use it. And, and I think in the next couple of years, we'll be seeing a lot more uh, just innovative techniques and, and things that, you know, we can tell a story differently on the digital medium than we can on the print.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, for us as a company, we're actually kind of uh, evolving into a company that can kind of cater to both imprints. like our digital offerings and our and our print offerings will be separate entities. They'll offer different things. Uh, and that's kind of the way we're approaching it in the future. We want to kind of look at them as two separate entities and, and and two different products that we're kind of putting out maybe they might have the same story but in the end the package you get will be different.
2: Right, right.
1: And I think that's the I think that's the best way to go as a publisher. I mean, in my opinion is just uh you know to think of the digital medium as a different approach than the, the print because it is. I mean, there's so many different options and capabilities available that we don't even know about. So sure. we're all kind of learning as we go, but uh, I think it, it's more than just simply adapting already existing material and just making it digital. You know?
0: Right, right, absolutely. Um, now, at Aspen, you guys publish uh, titles like Fathom and Soulfire that are owned by the company, created by and owned by the company, uh, and then others sort of that are creator-owned, like Cares Magic right. and Idolized. Now, editorially speaking, what's the difference? I mean, how is it different editing a book where Aspen owns all the characters um, and the titles, and ones that you're publishing with another creator. I mean, how do you look at that, and how do you treat it differently as an
1: editor? Um, well, I mean, there's slight differences, but at the end of the day, we try to approach it all the same. Uh, you know, generally, by the time we've accepted a, a property from a, an outside creator, say, uh, you know, we're pretty much on board with the whole property and that creator's kind of thoughts and, and vision for the for the book. So. There's not a whole lot that we do differently with other creators. Uh, you know, I will say, generally, if as an Aspen creator or somebody who, you know, within the company, you know, even myself, that you know, that that stuff generally goes quicker just because we are, we're the ones approving the stuff and the approval process in general is just a lot, you know, quicker. Uh, you never know. With each creator, there's a different level of involvement that they want to do and, and different ideas that they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, I try as an editor to always, you know, keep the writer or creator kind of paramount in whatever their vision is, I want to try to keep as close to that as possible in right. process. Um but you know, I won't lie, it it's always easier for like a book like hers magic where I know, hey, that there's no I don't have to send this page to another creator for approval, you know, I, I can just look at it and be like, yep, it's good, let's move on. Um, right. It's definitely uh, you know, an easier aspect to, to the stuff that we do. Uh, and, you know, that's not to say that the creator on stuff is any less fun. It's just a, another step in the process. Uh, but on that regard, you know, there have been times where we've worked with other creators where necessarily, you know, it got a little hairy because we were like, look, we got to move on. And at the end of the day, if it's got, um, you know, if we're publishing it, we ultimately have the final approval. So, you know, we don't run into a lot of problems where, uh, we you know we kind of have friction with the creator because, that, you know, generally we try to hire creators that we already kind of like and respect. So there, there's never been issues where we couldn't move forward on something. But, right. Uh, you know, knock on wood. <laughs> <laughs> and,
0: and what kind of lead time do books, uh, your guys' books at Aspen have? I mean, before you solicit a book, how far ahead are you?
1: Uh, never enough lead time <laughs> is the answer to that question. <laughs> but, uh Really, you know, it differs on the project. Sometimes we've been forced to kind of move forward on something a lot quicker than we would have liked. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and that generally depends on contracts and stuff like, you know, the boring stuff that the behind the scenes pre production stuff. Right. Uh, you know, I, I generally, you know, I think a three month window before every series is probably the most ideal.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: for us just generally you know and that's a three month window before the book is even announced so that we have art to show you know when we right. announce it um but you know that's been cut sometimes we've announced the book and then we've had to come out with it you know it feels like two two months later mm-hmm. uh, and that's never good <laughs> as an editor uh you know that drives me nuts because you know planning is huge for any comic book property but especially nowadays where, you know, if it's not worthy, you know, no one will notice it. There's so many things out there right now that kind of catch people's attention. It's like, we really got to bring it. And we're small outfits so we only do a certain amount of releases every month anyways.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so we got to, we got to make sure that we properly plan them right. So, you know, I think a three month window for us is generally our, our, our ideal time frame.
0: Right. Right. Now um, what are sort of the biggest challenges that an editor faces—is it more creatively, like trying to get the material as strong as it can be, or is it dealing with all the day-to-day stuff and, and dealing with scheduling and, and, and production stuff?
1: Uh, I think there's two points in both those uh, kind of ideas you brought up because one, uh, that's always the you know a big challenge of any company. I think is to find the right properties that that will sell well. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, you know, we could talk, you know, left and right in meetings about what we think will be cool, but we ultimately have to make decisions based on what we think, you know, uh, will be exciting or will be something that will sell well for us. Uh, so that's always a tough, you know, I think a really tough thing for an editor is kind of have to forecast what will be popular in say three to six months from now. Right. Uh, you know, and then on that same token, once we do decide what what to do, I think the biggest challenge is actually getting a thing out. Uh, just because uh, there's, you know, I can't emphasize enough how many different little things go into making a comic book. That, an individual single issue, um, they can take you know four or six weeks by itself. So you know, with a if you're releasing like a brand new series or a brand new property, uh, you generally want to have two or three issues before it even comes out uh, mm-hmm. completed. And you know that's that's a huge undertaking, I and mean, you're talking about thousands of dollars and, uh, and thousands of manpower hours as well. Uh, so that I think that's equally as difficult it's just getting the book out you know and then once as an editor you start to build even more and more books coming out you know throughout the summer then you know it gets a little tricky Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: so it's always a challenge i think every aspect right i would say uh you know creating it you know the vision from scratch is always tough and then just you know the overall process of doing it is equally as tough and i think those are the two most difficult things for any editor.
0: right Now, you created Kara's Magic over at Aspen, Um, and and you're obviously a writer slash editor. Now, what is your basic writing process on an individual issue of, like, say, Kara's Magic? Um, What actually, from the beginning to sort of the end of that process? Because a lot of people think that, for example, in in, in filmmaking, you write a script and somebody buys it and makes it into a movie, but there's a million steps that go on before that actually happens.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I will, I'll take you back to the start of it uh, with Kara's Magic. I, yeah. I basically had the idea, uh, kind of sketched away in a notepad. It was actually an idea that I had pitched before to uh, a different multimedia company for a different project, not even comic book related. Um, but I always liked the idea, so it had come time. I had done a few series before Kara's Magic that were uh, they were pretty successful in terms of uh, you know people liked them and, and the sto- I think the stories came together well. So I was talking with Frank, who, you know, he's basically, um, he's our owner and he's also the publisher president. So, you know, most ideas and most projects go through him as well. So, especially mine, cause I, you know, as an editor, I think, you know, you can always sit back and just try to do as much as you can, but I want to make sure that my ideas as well are equally put to the challenge of, of being, you know, viably, you know, a good seller in, in mm-hmm. general. So, uh, you know, I'll pitch my ideas to Frank, just like everybody else. And, uh, so, you know, I basically went in there and I told him my story idea and, and and kind of the broad strokes of it. And, you know, based off of the stuff that he knew I wrote, written before, he he liked the idea. And, you know, from there, it's generally the outline phase after that. So I went, you know, home and scripted up an outline. And, and it's funny because I'm terrible at outlines. I, I overwrite, I, I go, <laughs> you know, my, my outlines, outlines are supposed to be short and concise, but mine end up being pages and pages and I get too excited about describing certain scenes. So, uh. I basically you know wrote up the complete story and I looked at what I you know had originally and I, you know, I envisioned about 6 issues for the first volume so I kind of mapped out each issue and I'd say each issue was maybe about anywhere from several paragraphs to a page so you know it was about 6 to 7 pages worth of of an outline mm-hmm. From there, I'll take that outline to Frank and then he'll give me notes on that, you know, scene by scene and what he thought works and what he, you know, thought didn't work. And, you know, I'm, I've learned through the years to be really open-minded during this process because that, that's really where you, you know, you're going to getting your second set of eyes on the property. Uh, and, and the first kind of uh, opinions, I always feel like those are really important because this is, you know, the second, second person besides you who's ever seen it. So, right. Uh, so Frank will give me notes and then I'll go back in from there and, you know, uh, generally, I'll send a revised outline, and 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 I'm pretty good about the revised outline being as close to probably the finished draft of an outline as possible.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, you know, so usually from the re- revised outline, I'm good to go on on, on scripting, and then from there, uh, you know, I basically do the same exact thing. I script each issue, or I'm sorry, I outline each issue uh, as an individual, and I break down the page count in that outline, that very first outline, so you can kind of look back and see every. Scene, kind of page marked uh, from you know issue zero all the way to issue six,
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: and that usually takes the longest because that's where I generally come up with the actual mechanics of a scene, uh, and break down how many pages each scene will take. Um, you know, but once that initial huge breakdown is done, then everything else is really easy from there. Because uh, once I start the script, I know okay, this scene needs three pages, and uh, you know that's kind of my limit, uh, and that's something I developed a few years back, actually working with Frank on a different book, uh, we would kind of map out page numbers for scenes and how many each would would be, and I found that to be really helpful with me to kind of know going in. Okay, this needs to be a five-page scene, or this, you know, I can't go over this amount.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know,
1: I break those every once in a while if the story calls for it. I mean, ultimately, the story dictates what the page count will be. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I have gone over. Um, usually, we try to stay to 20 pages, but there's times when I'll go to 21 or 22 if, if need be. Right, uh, you know, and from that point, it's just a matter of writing each script. And then once the scripts are turned in, you know, I get notes on those as well, and I'll go in and and, and usually do those the next day. And then uh, from there, you know, the script is sent to the artist, and and off we go on the art. Mhm.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, is there ever changes between once you submit the script to the artist, pages come back, and the narrative based on looking at the pages? May oh, yeah. change or shift or dialogue changes may affect a panel or two.
1: Oh, yeah, I mean, there's so many little changes that I'll make based on the art. Uh, a lot of them are basically me cutting down you know sometimes dialogue because mm-hmm. uh you know we just don't have enough room. that's always a big one. Uh, there are other times when the artist will actually you know do a better job of telling what what I'm trying to convey you know in the art. Because mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the day, I'm trying to do panel layouts and, and tell them, okay, I think this should be six panels. But once they break it down themselves, a lot of times they'll be like, you know what, I could do it in five, mm-hmm. uh, and it reads just as well. So right. you know, and, and I find I like to think I'm one of the more easygoing writers to work with in comics. Like I, I won't, you know, I'm not going to argue if an artist generally thinks that they can do, you know, tell a story in less panels.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or, or vice versa, you know, I'm pretty open. At the end of the day, the artists, I feel like they're the really the director of the scene, and they're going to be providing the vision for it. You know, I'm, I'm just kind of blueprinting what I think they should go off of.
2: So, right. Uh,
1: you know, I, I like to be collaborative in that process, but, you know, to each his own, I would guess. But, yeah, there's always changes that come through once the art comes through. And, and I think every good comic book story needs to have to adapt to the art, not the other way around.
0: Right, right. Now, what kind of books or comic books um influenced you in in your writing?
1: Hm. That's a good question. I mean, I basically uh, before I started working comics, I was I was huge on uh reading novels and I still am. I think I find a lot of my inspiration from from different novels. I was a a huge fan of uh, you know, Michael Crichton and his big uh science fiction epics, mm-hmm. you know, growing up. And then, uh, you know, more recently, uh, you know, there's a, an author, he's not, I wouldn't say he's a well-known author, but Barry Eiser, who does a lot of crime, uh, assassin novels, uh, he's been a huge kind of uh, motivating factor in kind of the storytelling approach that I've been taking. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, and especially now that I'm doing an executive assistant book, which is an assassin book, mm-hmm. I've taken a lot of cues from that. You know, in comic book terms, I was a big fan. I, I, I don't know if this is as good as a writer to admit, but I was a, <laughs> a, kind of a big fan of, uh, of McFarlane's Spider-Man and a lot of those early uh you know 90s artists I I like their style of art and then you know the sure. dynamic in your face uh kind of you know style of their art and I, I felt like uh, as a writer I wanted to write you know stuff that kind of played to that you know I've always been a fan of big big you know double page spreads and, and big splash shots and mm-hmm. music of um, you know that you look forward to uh, you know I always look back to writing and I go you know uh, if I was a kid and I was in a in a convenience store looking at a spinner rack, you know which comic would I get both of my eyes on? I always feel like it's the ones that you know the big comic book moments. So I right. try to kind of infuse that into my writing, and I feel like a lot of the artists that I kind of have been inspired by were along that same vein. You know, you're and you know I did work at Top Cow in the '90s, so I definitely am a fan of Michael Turner and mm-hmm. Mark Silvestri, those guys that they, they kind of uh, you know they kind of balance that. That high art with uh, with high concept storytelling which i I felt like comics before the 90s always kind of were very you know everything was in the panels everything was within the, the confines of the story but I feel like now you know there's a mix of everything you can kind of get away with anything on the page right right <clears throat>
0: excuse me and and speaking of that whole 90s image creation uh, I've spoken to a, a number of different writers about this um, back in the 80s you could describe when you picked specific titles. You can describe certain titles um, as, for example, Chris Claremont's X-Men. Um, or you know, And it was very writer-driven. And then sort of in the 90s, it, it definitely turned the way of the artist, where it became I- image-formed and it became much more about the artist. Uh, like McFarlane's Spider-Man or obviously Spawn and everything created an image. Um, yeah, exactly. And, you know, Rob Liefeld and New Mutants um, and Cable and this and that. Or, but then it started to shift. Yeah. And, and now it, it definitely seems to be as much, if not more so, sort of writers sort of taking the, the headlines and being featured in terms of titles. Like when you describe a title, it's often more for the writer than for the artist nowadays. Right. Um, why do you think that is? Why, why did that transition come about?
1: Well, I think it's a little bit of a mixture of uh, what we talked about with that early, early 90s stuff. I think that br- that bubble kind of burst, uh, you know, towards the late 90s, and I think, uh, you know, I think they played themselves out. Honestly, I think a lot of the image founders they had this style that was, you know, very, you know, art first and visual first, and I think a lot of the, you know, the collectible aspect in, the, in comics in the 90s took that on. There was, you know, half foil covers and millions of variants. Uh, you know, just all kinds of nutty promotions for for these type of books. And I think that bubble eventually burst, and people just kind of were yearning for good stories again. Mm -hmm. Uh, Because at the end of the day, I think, you know, you could have the most beautiful art in the world, but if there's not a good story behind it, I think you're kind of, uh, you know, you're half-assing it, to be blunt. You know what I mean? And I think, you know, eventually people start to get wise to that. And I think that's what happened towards the end of the 90s, I think. Uh, You know, people just, they wanted a good story. And I think film and TV had a lot a lot to play with that, you know, the CGI and, and effects got a lot better, and people were forced to kind of uh, go back to being good storytellers, because everything was on the same level at that point, you know, I think uh, computer coloring played a big part in it, people were, you know, everybody had a good looking book at some point, and then it was it went back to, well, who's got the good story, right. uh, which publishers are, are putting out good things, you know, and, and I think it was a transitional shift uh, that kind of played out through through the early 2000s, and I think we're right now we're at a point where I, I think we're kind of at a balance point right now because there are artists, you know, like Jim Lee, who, you know, he's still on the top book, Justice League. But, you know, to mix with that, there's also Jeff Johns, who I consider to be kind of the top comic book writer. And, and you know, they're on the same book right now. So I, I think there's a healthy mix of both, which is kind of, a, you know, that's a good sign.
0: Right, right. <laughs> um, now... Um aspen isn't necessarily open to submissions. You actually uh, will work with creators um, established creators and kind of develop projects with them and things like that. Um, but I'm sure you've seen plenty of submissions
1: oh, now, yeah. that doesn't stop them coming <laughs> <laughs> right
0: now w- what are some of the the most common mistakes uh that writers will make uh in in submitting or that common creators artists slash writers or teams will will make when when submitting?
1: I think across the board, and this goes from, like, your amateur, you know, aspiring comic creators to, you know, say, film or TV script writers, screenwriters who kind of are trying to make a jump to comics because they think it's cool. I think the biggest thing is, uh, you know, everybody has a great idea. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Joe Blow on the street could probably tell you an awesome comic book idea. But, uh, you know, a lot of these creators, I think they get too attached to the uh, the concept and not enough to the characters. Mm-hmm uh and that's ultimately what's going to sell what your book is is the characters and the, the kind of the the basic humanity of your story and i i you know nine out of 10 pitches that I'll see come through the pipeline are all high concept stuff a lot of them involve zombies these days
2: mm-hmm. uh, and vampires <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> you know and, and and uh but you know very few of them actually kind of are relatable and uh to me, that's always that's a huge thing. I, I kind of look at each property that we see or anything that we might do in the future. And you know, uh, can your average reader relate to this story? Or does it you know eventually you know go back to the heart of the characters? Because uh, that's I think what we all want in, in a story, and you know that's what I definitely look for. So, if I was telling an aspiring comic creator, you know, if you everybody has a high concept pitch, and you know, generally that's the first thing you'll hear out of a creator's mouth when they're trying to pitch you something is the uh, You know, it's this meets this, but you know, at the end of the day, I'm like, well, that's great, but where's the heart of the story? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that's what it always goes back to.
0: Right, right. Now, um, comic books are one of those few forms where what you write as a writer isn't necessarily designed for consumption, public consumption, meaning the average person won't read a comic book script. They read a finished comic book with the art and the dialogue inserted. Um, For somebody who writes, prose or any other form of, of of writing uh what sort of of transition i mean how does the medium how do the mediums differ because again writing uh, a script for comics isn't as simple as writing uh you know what happens on a page there are panels you have to break down it has to flow it has to make sense you can't write specific movement per se uh in a panel (laughs) yeah things like that um what sort of of differences in in terms of writing prose have you know obviously you know having you know done some writing yourself and and being kind of gotten into writing from prose from novels and things and comic book writing
1: yeah i mean that's a great question very few people ever ask that question but it is a big difference between other writing mediums uh and you know, the biggest thing and, and I kind of like to relate it to uh, you, to me it's most like being a director and a director of photography on a on a film because you're uh, you know at the end of the day you're writing the stuff but you're not necessarily writing for your audience like you said you you hit the nail on the head there because at the end of the day you're you're writing for the artist uh and your script needs to be not only just you know it needs to have a good story but it also needs to relay uh, direction to him or her, whoever the artist is, and that 's really the biggest thing I mean you can have a great story, but if you 're not related to the artist you I to not draw it right uh, and there 's a lot of things that go involved in that I mean, like you said you know it's it 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 's a static shot at the end of the day, every comic book, every scene, every panel is uh, one frozen moment in time you know and a lot of a lot of new writers have a hard time adjusting to that because they they like to write the script as if they're writing the screenplay, but this they're they're very different mediums. Mm-hmm. Uh, a comic book is one static shot, and you really have to relay everything in that description in, in each panel what what the the character is doing. You know that's why I like to go back to the kind of the director because it's more like directing uh, your actor who would be your artist and what what's going on in this scene, what's going on in this scene, and you really have to nail it with that with that scene because your chances are you know you're gonna have a few balloons to do it, and that's it. And, right. And, and and the artist really has to do the most work because they have to convey whatever it is you're trying to kind of say on the page. Mm-hmm. And, uh, You know, so I like to think it's it. There's nothing else like it in terms of writing. Uh, you know, that's why it's fun. I think. Sure. Because and two, you know, there's a lot of things that you can get away with. You can write stuff in the script that you'll know an audience will never see, but it might be something that'll be helpful for the artist. Right. Uh, and and I always have fun doing that because <laughs> that's really where you get to your, your your base. You know, this is me talking to you. This isn't me writing a script. This is me telling the artist, hey, you know what? It needs to look like this. Uh, and sometimes I do that. Sometimes I just break down and, you know, the writer in me disappears and I just go, look, uh, it needs to look cool. It needs to be badass. <laughs> We're right. really nail it. You know? Right, right. And I don't think, you know, that happens in novels or in, in, in poems or other forms of, of writing. You
0: know? Right, right. And uh, talking about the technicality of it, writing a, a script for a comic, which is either 20, 22 pages, uh, whatever it happens to be uh, for that particular issue. Um, how difficult is it fitting in that? Because unlike television, which obviously is, is, is a 22-minute medium, um, they, they shoot more and they can cut it down, pick places to cut. Whereas when you do a book that's 20, 22 pages, it's not like the the artist can draw 30-some pages, and you can clip out pages that you don't want to use to make it that right length. How do you get at that exact length, and is that you know, a challenge
1: sometimes? It, it is. It's a challenge. I actually just recently did a, last week I did an anthology book, and it was, uh, I had done a 10-page story in a while, and that's what, it, I basically was given 10 pages for my little section, and uh,
2: mm-hmm. it was
1: a challenge. I, I had forgotten how hard it was to go back and write something of smaller length. I was so used to doing 20-page ones. right. Uh, scripts, so, you know, for me, it was a, it was a little wake-up call, (laughs) because I was like, wow, he really fit this stuff, I think that all comes down in the outline stage, I think Mm -hmm. when you outline something, you have to really be thorough, and you have to be, uh, I like to say, be honest with yourself, and I tell that to writers, too, like, when you're outlining something, you need to know exactly how much time, or how much, you know, you're going to be able to need for a specific scene, or, you know, how long this is going to take, and, and that's really where the outline comes through because I think if you haven't worked out your pacing issues in your outline, mm-hmm. once you get to the script writing phase, it gets really, really complicated to to try to fit things in. And unfortunately, I have done that before where I've run into, you know, things have gotten cut or you're working on a series and say, like, you know, the last two issues, you know, we got to end this series early. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, you have to kind of squeeze these moments in. And, and you know, as a writer, I always can tell i like, all oh, the pacing wasn't what I intended, but, you know, sometimes the readers will never notice, but sometimes they will. Right. Uh, and I think that's a lot of times when you see stories and maybe have bad pacing or they seem like there's too many word balloons on a page. Sometimes that might be because they're trying to fit more of the story in the wording.
2: <laughs> right. Yeah,
1: that's an old trick. I probably shouldn't say that out loud, but, you know, <laughs> I think a lot of times when you see too many balloons on a page, generally I think the writer's trying to make up for stuff that wasn't put in the script visually.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, just me, just me saying that, but
0: right. <laughs> um, the old uh, show, don't tell, right?
1: Yeah, there's a common saying a lot of times in editorial that, that uh, you know we'll make uh, we'll we'll make it up in in lettering. <laughs> so.
0: um, now, as as editor at Aspen, have you ever passed? Have you guys ever passed on a book that uh, that you you know ones you didn't publish that almost you wish you had later on that had come out you know somewhere else? Uh,
1: I can't pinpoint a specific title that we were like, man, we really should have done that. Um, you know, there obviously there have been a few projects where we where we were, it didn't fit right for us, and mm-hmm. it, it went on to become maybe a success for someone else. Right. Uh, but you know, we don't look at any of them with regret. There's there's been times where we just we felt like it didn't fit us at the right time.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: there's been a few licensed products uh, or books that have come out. You know, from other companies that we, we, we don't do a lot of licensed products. In general we have done actually zero so for us you know we do look at them every once in a while a, a, you know a company will ask us to kind of give their take on a certain thing but we've actually passed on most of them all of them, mm-hmm. i believe so uh you know but there's no there's no particular project where we're like oh we should have you know done that right i think we've been pretty good about you know trying to find the potential on the ones that we we thought were going to be a success and those ended up, you know, working out well, and then there have been a few that didn't, and kind of the the gamble you take.
0: Right, right. Now, I like to ask writers this, but being a writer and editor, uh, you might actually have sort of a unique spin on it, um, but what are a few pieces of advice you would have for aspiring comic book creators, writers, um, you know, tips, techniques, insights that you might be willing to share?
1: Uh, there's a, you know, there's a bunch. I mean, for... Uh, you know, I'll fashion this for the more of the aspiring comic book creator because I'm assuming, that, you know, uh, there's a lot of comic book creators who are already working who have their kind of own techniques in hand. Uh,
2: mm-hmm.
1: You know, for me, I think the biggest thing is don't don't try to sell yourself too soon. I see that a lot, with uh, especially with writers where they will, you know, they'll try to put their name out there and, and try to find work before they've actually, you know, kind of worked on their craft. Mm-hmm. The Biggest thing to me is if you're going to try to be a comic book writer, yes, you have to write some scripts, right? And get those under your belt. And that doesn't necessarily mean you know things that are going to get published, but uh, you have to you have to learn the art form and and the craft. And I think that's kind of what gets missed a lot of times. And mm-hmm. uh, it's different across the board because with comic book writing, it's a lot of you know I hate to say it, but there's a lot of who you know involved in it. Right. Uh, so you never know when that opportunity is going to come, but uh, my my biggest advice to writers is don't be stagnant. Don't sit on your kind of sit on your butt and and not write because I think that's the biggest thing. Is everybody wants to sell themselves, especially with social media sites these days, you know, you right. You go on Facebook and everybody's a superstar. Uh, <laughs> you know, they all have their own like fan pages and their own uh kind of little groups and clubs, but uh you know, 9 out of 10 of those those people aren't ready. <laughs> right,
2: right. They don't know
1: the actual craft of writing comics and that kind of comes from studying up the the existing stuff and going beyond that, when I first wanted to write comics, I studied a lot of Will Eisner books, uh, the graphic storytelling books Mm -hmm. that he did. Uh, And it sounds so cheesy because it's like, is this, you know, back in school, you're doing the, you kind of going and and reading the textbooks. But uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of good books out there right now for how to learn how to write. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I always tell people, you know, they're, they're helpful.
2: (laughs) Right, right. It's,
1: It's a medium that's not something that you can kind of learn on your own. You can, but it's, it's very difficult to and, and you are really ultimately always going to be kind of copying a writer who's come before and, and kind of adopting their style i did you know i won't name names but there's a few writers who you know if you look at their scripts and look at my scripts there's very you know there's a style is very similar and you know jeff Johns being one of them you know I, I love his work and and he's a a writer who inspires me pretty much every day when i look at his stuff on you know i'm always like damn it i wish i could do that <laughs> You know, and I found that a lot, you know, a lot of his things that, uh, that he does, his techniques, uh, I kind of emulate. You know, he's, he kind of taught me about the one-page scene. I didn't really have any clue or idea how to kind of pull that off until I started reading his Infinite Crisis book. And that kind of is where I adopted that mm. technique mm-hmm. uh, from Jim Le- or, sorry, from Jeff Johns. And that, that was definitely, uh, you know, helpful to my career. And I, and I tell people all the time, you know, if you like, if Brian K. Vaughan is your favorite writer or Brian Michael Bennis uh, is your favorite writer, you know, study their stuff. And, and look at how they do it and, 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 you know, take those tools and those tips that you've learned from reading all these comics all these years and apply it. But, uh, but don't, you know, don't value to yourself too soon, too quick. Cause then, uh, you know, uh, as an editor, uh, I can't tell you how many people, writers I've seen that, that come along the that, you know, they're touting their own horn, but at the end of the day, I, I doubt they could actually write the script that we need.
0: Right. Right. Even if they were talented in a different medium, because, yeah, out, okay. it's,
1: honestly, it's, being a comic book writer is 50% selling your own, you know, your name, but but selling your name and, and making your name are two different things, and I think, yeah. uh, you know, you really have to take that self-publishing angle and, you know, do web comics or digital comics or something to kind of get your name out there, because most publishers, uh, they're not going to take a chance on a on a brand new, you know, name, because it's not a commodity that can sell units, and yeah. ultimately, I think that's what it comes down to. It is a business, you know, so.
0: Sure, uh, Yeah.
1: Make your name first.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Absolutely. Um, now, this is the uh, the sort of the last portion of the show where you do, like to do something called rapid fire. It's just six either or questions that are sort of uh-huh. tailored for you. So if you're ready, mm-hmm. surf or turf? Surf. Uh, Lakers or Knicks? Uh, <laughs> do
1: I have to answer one of those? Because they <laughs> honestly are both my favorite teams. So, yeah. <laughs> You've hit the nail on both heads, but I'll say Knicks.
0: Okay. Um, so you're an editor I know you work crazy hours uh, coffee or Red Bull oh coffee uh, better magician David Blaine or David Copperfield Copperfield um, uh, better Perry White you know obviously the editor of the Daily Planet Jackie Cooper or Lawrence Fishburne
1: oh, I'm going to go with Jackie Cooper
0: okay um, and lastly who would win um, in the best party magician or a, a birthday party uh Hank Medley or Stephen Strange Doctor Strange
1: <laughs> Easy question Hank Medley I'm always <laughs> going to go with my book
0: <laughs> Awesome awesome Uh and that's all the time we have uh thanks for joining me uh today Vince I really appreciate it and be sure to visit aspencomics.com
1: thanks a lot Kevin thanks for having me
0: Yeah and you can follow Vince on Twitter at, at @VinceHernandez8 and I don't know who those other seven Vinces are but they don't got nothing on my man Vince Hernandez no. 8
1: Yeah you can follow them, too, if you want, but they're not me. <laughs> yeah.
0: And then for more information on the show, please visit our website at scriptsandscribes.com. Scripts and if you have questions about the craft or business of writing, you can send us an email to ask at scriptsandscribes.com or send us a tweet to at ScriptScribes. There's no and in the middle there. Just at Thanks for listening.